Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 11, Picard and the Ancient Aliens. Ain't it? Contagion. <laughs> Jean-Luc Shorty specs mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transport a deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformation, everyone to battle stations. And joining us about this ancient aliens discussion um, is is an expert in conspiracy theories and crackpot ideas uh, and first time ever being on the podcast. Also an expert in medicine, I guess. <laughs> James is uh, joining us on the podcast. Uh, James Brown, thank you for uh, for joining us. Hey guys, how you doing? So, uh, Contagion is it's a it's an interesting episode for a number of reasons because you you would look at this episode and you would think it's you know kind of a throwaway episode, but there's some stuff in here which is actually woven its way into the into trectum and and we'll kind of get to that but i want to first talk about this as like a, a story and and you know james since you have not been on the podcast before i want to kind of get you to 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 you know feel comfortable here uh you know thumbs up thumbs down did you like it did you dislike it do you i mean what what struck you about this episode i'll say i liked the episode uh i like the introduction of the protoss as an extinct species. <laughs> that didn't occur to me before. You must build but... additional warp. <laughs> They're powered by blue crystals. They got a blue orb that comes and zaps them every once in a while. It's called a probe. I'm just saying. I'm just yeah. Saying. Yeah. Crossover. Well, I mean, literally. I mean, they... they fight them with the Yamato cruiser, right? Oh, wow. I didn't even think about uh, that either. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, Yamato cannon. Welcome nice. to the official um, StarCraft podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are starting right now. You know, I'm trying to think if we ever see what an Iconian looks like, because uh, that is a name that will eventually kind of come up again if you watch enough Trek. It's it's not like, it's not a often, but it, they're also not completely forgotten. And I don't think we ever see what one looks like. So in my head, I just think I'm going to picture, you know. It has Protoss, yeah. It yeah, works. They're Protoss. Yeah. Nice. Um, the Zerg killed them all. This is what we got left. This is how this goes. <laughs> they, this is uh, this is. I wasn't anticipating this is the way this goes, but, but that's great because this is way more awesome. <laughs> so, uh, um, is that what so, drew you to this episode? Was uh, was the Protoss, or was that just a happy surprise when you started watching? I I thought I would actually be of use in this one. It's called Contagion. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was I, I was just about knuckles. to ask that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna get get my doctor sauce on, but uh, no, no. It ended up being computer virus. As it turns out, or, no yeah. turns actual... Out unnatural selection is the one you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the contagion in this case um, winds up being a computer virus. Um, I, I wanted to, to mention briefly that there was something that stood out to me when I was watching the episode, and then it finally dawned on me. Um, this was an interesting episode of Trek because 
they actually are in a situation where their technology fails them. And for a brief moment, um, they're actually considering the fact that it's not an outside influence, but perhaps actual human error and design flaws. Um, and I think that's an interesting angle for Star Trek because the the future is so perfect sometimes in the way that it's designed and put together. Um, technology in this show takes on a quasi-magical property, um, so much so that, like, you know, if technology is ever not available, there's usually an explanation and an apparent explanation for why that can't be used. But this is the first time where they're looking around going, guys, did we just, like, screw up? Like, was this just designed poorly? And that's that's a good point you mentioned magic there, because I explicitly call that out, the combo he has with Wes, where he says, like, hey... You know, advanced enough tech looks like magic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, you haven't really said that in as many words to this point in the series, but um, it's a good thing to have on the table. Yeah. And I think it was interesting the way that they chose to portray Federation technology in this episode. Um, and I almost wonder if they made that decision to to maybe, you know, I don't want to say dumb it down a little bit, but, but make them seem more vulnerable and more human in the face of this Iconian technology because even though this is a race of people which died out 200,000 years ago, it's supposed to be very apparent that they had stuff beyond anything that the Federation or, or modern Federation science has come up with or the Romulans or you know possibly the Klingons because that's kind of the central point of this episode, right, is first we think it's going to be the rescue the yumato thing and then haha not <laughs> because yeah, yeah. <laughs> that um, kind of happens which that scene when they when they meet the yumato uh i'm curious what you guys thought of that mm, i mm, picard violates international law risks intergalactic warfare to like meet up at a bar with his buddy <laughs> like <laughs> hey. well, so it feels very kobayashi maru Right? It's the same sort of setup. Like, oh, we get a call from the neutral zone and you got to go in. Um, and it, it raises a point that I've had in other ones. And um, I, I don't know if I'll ever get a satisfying answer, but a, a question of what the neutral zone is and wh- who gets to go there and why and when. Um, because they keep painting in this this picture of, like, basically Romulan space. Because the Romulans are always on the side of like, hey, you're not supposed to be there. And then they always toss back like, well, neither are you. And the Romulans are like, well, we are. Deal with it. Yeah. And that's never dealt with. <laughs> right? The Federation never says like, oh, why are the Romulans here? It's always just like, well, we're not allowed in. But let's just say they could do what they want. Yeah. I think, I think what happens is... Um... We talked about this, I believe, in the episode which was called The Neutral Zone. The Neutral Zone, yeah. Yeah, this came up a bunch. Yeah, I mean, it is supposed to represent a a, a buffer zone between the two empires. So, effectively, if you were to picture a star chart that has this is charted Federation space and claimed Federation space, this is claimed the other side there's this is claimed for the romulan star empire there's supposed to be this buffer strip between the two uh empires that's mutually agreed upon that's basically no one goes here that that neither territory is supposed to have vessels operating within the neutral zone and i think what always happens is the romulans are like lol whatever kk uh because usually it is a federation ship in the zone first and then a Romulan ship decloaks. So it's kind of like one of those, um, 
I, I think the Romulans feel like they can take the moral high ground often because they're not the first ones to be there, but yet they're the ones who are constantly trying yeah. to lure uh, Federation ships across. And it, it paints a picture of, like, the whole place is blanketed with cloaked Romulan ships just right. waiting. <laughs> right. That's, exactly. That's what it feels like, right? Freaking statistics. Yeah, like, ev- yeah. yeah we're, it's Bayesian, right? Like, every time a Federation ship goes into the neutral zone, a Romulan ship shows up. Yeah. Right. Well, and I didn't, uh, I didn't specifically, like, intend to go down this path, but I'm kind of glad we're there because um, you are kind of really bringing up an interesting point about Star Trek politics, which is you have one one group which does not have this technology this cloaking technology then you have another group which does um that creates a really weird power imbalance um and a power imbalance that they kind of acknowledge but they don't really go completely whole hog into how grossly uh unfair that that uh that situation is in terms of gathering intelligence or operating covertly or essentially the the federation has to basically operate out in the open all the time and romulans kind of get to do whatever they want because you don't know they're there until they decide to reveal themselves yeah. and yeah from the naval naval perspective right it's submarines yeah exactly <laughs> talking yeah. about submarines and it would be like there there's this treaty that and we won't go into like huge detail but there's there's like a reason that the federation doesn't have cloaking technology and it's not you know, it, it's not because they're not smart enough to develop it. They just signed a treaty that said they wouldn't do it, and that's yeah, that kind of up in man. Does that come up in Voyager yes. or Deep Space yeah. Nine? It comes up in one of them. Well, it, it, yeah, it, that's beyond the, point. beyond the point. Yeah, Deep Space Nine, I think it's established within Next Gen. I'm just not sure how soon because that's the crux of the seventh season episode with um, Will Wrecker's old captain and the experimental ship that they find with the experimental cloaking device oh um, yeah 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 yeah. that's what i'm thinking of but i mean it is basically established there is like a uh, treaty out there somewhere but like you you kind of dive down into that further and that's just plain silly like uh, apparently this goes back to gene roddenberry feeling like uh, i believe it was discussed in a story meeting where he said well the good guys don't sneak around and i'm like that's uh, okay, you know, but no, because like it would be like you know the United States saying, "Well, we're not going to do submarines," like even though that will leave us at a huge or tactical disadvantage. Sonar or right, sonar, that would be the real thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, do you think the do you think Picard and the Federation end up looking very noble at the end of this episode, as far as the good guys no. go? No, no, not even a little. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Picard seems like such a jerk at the end of this he shows up on their bridge it's like peace out dudes yeah. <laughs> you're gonna die oh, yeah. yeah and i'm cool bye and he, he does it all well while teleporting and just yeah and he gets back to the ship and he's like hey they're gonna die soon let's get out of here riker's like hey we have a solution <laughs> and it's like oh oh i Darn. guess we can help them yeah yeah well because i mean that's that's the episode right because like a lot of a lot of what happens in this episode um you can really boil down to a few, you know, key plot points. It's first we yeah. are going to rescue the Yamato, then the Yamato blows up, and then the Enterprise assumes the Yamato's mission, and then there's the standoff with the Romulans, the computer virus, and the Iconians, and that's that's it. And yeah. like, to some large degree, it's very A to B, right? Yeah. That that like, yeah, just as you laid it out. Yeah. That, that this falls very neatly. And, and but look at how they present. Look at how they present the the trouble of the Iconian technology, right? Ancient super technology that if the Romulans get it, the Federation's in dire straits, even more so than this cloaking advantage they've got. 
So what's the answer to the question? Oh my God, this is so much to be afraid of. We've got to nuke the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is very, I mean, it is, it's a really weird place for a Trek episode to inhabit because it's, it's if anything, it's very reflective of um, U.S. military policies of the time, which are very interventionist, right? I mean, this is an interventionist right. style episode. This is a first strike uh, advocation. Exactly. Um, which is, yeah, I mean, it is. It's very weird, Um in in that regard as well because yeah I, I think there's even a line in here as I'm reading uh, I I always read through the memory alpha um, synopses after I watch these episodes to kind of process you know what I just saw and there's there's a line in there that talks about you know having succeeded in preventing a war with the Romulans and I'm like how I'm like if anything they you know the the Federation kind of came off as really invasive to a group of people who are very sensitive about that kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm like, did they prevent war because they saved the one ship? Like, I, I don't... Or they, like, didn't let them get the super weapon? Yeah, like... I, I don't... I mean, I don't understand how... It seems as though the... While I like this episode, it seems as though the things that happen within this episode necessitate a revisiting of these events that never happens because uh, the, the Federation was just kind of poking around in here where they shouldn't have been and they sort of screwed the pooch royally. They, they blew up a ship with a thousand people on it. Yeah, and they didn't really and seem... the to... only one who cared was, was Wes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Wes was like, hmm, I feel a little sad. And Picard has good answers there, right? The, the idea of the captain's burden. But but he doesn't seem in the moment to be and and I guess you could pitch this as it's his strength as a captain, but he doesn't seem jarred by it much at all. Yeah, yeah. The um, I I I, I thought at the moment, like in the moment where the ship actually explodes, um, I, I was sort of I, I was taken aback a little because I was like, wow, that's a that's a bold choice for them to to take a hero ship like that, you know, and blow it up. And then they even discuss, you know, that's a thousand people, that's a thousand souls. Well, yeah, and there's not many galaxy class ships out there, right? Like, yeah, are these the two? I mean, at this point, that's very possible because I believe um, yeah, it, it, it seems like it would be a bigger deal to the Federation, right? Yeah. Even that, like. It's a lot of work. At at minimum, um, here's where I get to have a, a ship nerd moment. Ship nerd moment. Um, <laughs> didn't didn't we get some audio from Baker for that? <laughs> we do. I'll see if I can work that <laughs> into the post. Uh, <laughs> um, theoretically, there would at least be one other one, right? Um, because the oh, he's got to build those ships in threes. Well, um, it's a galaxy class starship, and the class is always named for the first starship to roll off the assembly line of the class. So theoretically, out there somewhere, there is a USS Galaxy. A galaxy. Um, so anytime, uh, anytime you see a starship of a certain class, um, there is always a starship which is the um, called the Pathfinder uh, ship, and the Pathfinder is the first starship of the design to enter uh, service. Um, which is actually why um, the USS Defiant is a Defiant class starship. It was literally the prototypical uh, design. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, so, it, which is kind of neat if you go back to um, to all of the other like uh, starships because the USS Enterprise, the original, was a Constitution class. There is actually a USS Constitution, I believe, somewhere. Um, that sounds the, familiar. Uh, the Enterprise B was an Excelsior class. We all know the USS Excelsior. Um, the Enterprise C Gary, was an Gary Gygax's ship, right? 
Yes, Ex- Excelsior. Uh, no, that's uh, you're making a Stan Lee reference. Um, oh yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna have to take some of your nerd credit away. Uh, that's, uh, and then the <laughs> and then the Enterprise C was an ambassador class, and so theoretically there is a USS ambassador out there somewhere. But so yeah, I mean, but but they really paint these ships as cutting edge. So theoretically, you know. The USS Enterprise, uh, the Yamato... Theoretically, they didn't screw up the metric system, imperial system conversion, and that's not why it blew up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. Exactly. Um, well, but yeah, so, this, so is, can this I say is a it, huge blow, I mean, to the Federation. Yeah. When it blows up, some of the most 80s music they have in the series, that, like, riff <laughs> right after it... Oh! It's like, oh, come man. On. Dat, oh, yeah. That Romulan wardrobe... I mean, you're talking 80s, like... Oh, but I I mean, audio, She should be playing a keytar in a Wham! video, like, (laughs) that is... So what I'm getting right now is between what Paul is mentioning and, James, what you're talking about, we should mash those two together and take the audio from when the Yamato blows up and put it behind the Romulans appearing for the first time, and you've got a music video, like, right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, that that was... um, it was like the symphony was apparently on break and they needed some music. <laughs> so let's fire up a synth. And uh, So does it d- does it move right into blowing up right into that West combo? Like that's how it plays out, right? I think there's very little time between the two, yeah. Um, there's okay. there's like one scene where... Uh, the ship decloaks. Well, the ship... Yeah, yes, they have Well, oh, maybe they say like there's a Romulan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then uh, they go, uh, you know, Picard goes, you know, I want answers, one hour uh, staff meeting, cut to staff meeting, and I believe it's following the staff meeting. So it's, it's real close, yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right, because he uses... I um, want answers, not want... conjecture. <laughs> he also, uh, he, this is, a, uh, he's done this a few times, and I don't know if it's always the same word, but he uses the word theorize, like as a command, um, a lot like a show like CSI would use enhance. Right, (laughs) like he just says it to a room, and like it it, it feels like somebody should know to do it, or that like it's going to happen, and it's always going to happen. But it just feels like a weird command, yeah, to give in this situation. Hey, you theorize? Uh, Okay. (laughs) Do you think everyone? is so used to getting that from Picard that they just like act busy after he says it and then when he walks out of the room they all look at each other like I don't know you know <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do think um, you know getting back to my earlier point that that conference that they do have is again a, a rare moment of vulnerability where they're just like man I don't know this thing could be blown up on us like any time um, and the other thing I wanted to mention out of this whole thing too um, to, to kind of piggyback on the point of uh, the loss of 1,000 people and a state-of-the-art, you know, piece of technology in 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 service of Starfleet, not having the weight that it probably should. Um, the thing that really bothered me is they they even called it out. They said 1,000 crew and their families. Yeah. And it really like to me it really underscores. I understand what Gene Roddenberry was going for when they made Star Trek: The Next Generation. And they said, well, you know, this is a ship of peace and uh, uh, families will be aboard. Uh, I think that is that shows real naivete. I mean, I, I think that is just one of the most misguided things to put in the show because that's that's reckless and irresponsible <laughs> to put to put non-serving people and children on a ship which is regularly going to be asked to, to go into very right. dangerous service. You yeah. know? The Enterprise almost gets exploded 
Yeah. Every other episode. Yeah. Every it, other episode. It's also a weird one, right? The ship doesn't like disintegrate. It doesn't disintegrate. It doesn't like. It doesn't explode in ways in which everyone would be killed instantaneously, right? That, that like someone is going to get thrown out into space. Um, somebody's going to get caught like between some bulkheads with some air. Like, if you are right there with the sensors of the Enterprise, like you are not not saving everyone or or, or anyone rather. Yeah. Um, there's going to be people floating around. Like, a human exposed to vacuum does not die instantly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, or I, I mean, maybe maybe we have a doctor that can confirm that on the podcast, but I don't know. <laughs> hey, oh. Um. Yeah, you could probably get some um, very very horrendously injured people for for the doctor <laughs> to be working on. Uh, those injuries might not be uh, PG. Is all I'm saying. That's yeah. fair. I, yeah. You know, all your music. She's not a good doctor anyway. To, so. On <laughs> well, and it would like also exit your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's gonna be good. Yeah, I would also point out too that like the method of destruction for the ship was pretty catastrophic. So yeah, it was uh, yeah matter antimatter imbalance or something, right? Yeah, so and and, and all you see I've... is a little explosion. By the way, you... like there should be like a black hole where that ship used to be. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a singularity. Like it's. Uh... It was a lot of collision of energy and, and or matter and antimatter. Yeah, they they try to. I mean, they try to hedge their bets a little bit because um, uh, the this is I guess another ship nerd moment. But the amount of the the amount of matter and antimatter that that a warp engine runs on, if there was a catastrophic failure and the the entire contents of antimatter were exposed to you know regular matter and detonated, um, that would have destroyed both ships. Um, so what they did to try to hedge their bets was, I I mean, I think that's part of the conference room scene that was in there. Jordy was talking about how like this process that the ship went through before it exploded. And I guess there was like this safety system that was trying to flush some of the antimatter or, which is hilarious also because like, well, where are you going to send it? (laughs) Because pump pump it out into (laughs) anti-space. Yeah. But, um, let's say for the moment, okay, that's plausible. But then he said, well, that failed. And then the rest of what was left and didn't get flushed, like, you know, combined, but I'm like, still, I I don't, I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't hold a lot of water for me, but like basically what they were trying to say is it was a little less powerful than it could have been which is why the Enterprise survived at all. But I think that's why they were also hanging on that by saying, oh, the, these people would not have survived. But I think the way it was shown on screen, Paul, to your point, I mean, that saucer was just, like, burning, but it was still largely yeah, intact. Exactly. You know, so you could try. <laughs> like, I mean... Yeah, there would be... Out of a thousand, there would be a person in there that... And, and, and what you said, James, do right? These people are going to be in critical condition, potentially, but to just be oh, like, yeah. whoops, they're all dead... Is, is <laughs> yeah. maybe a, a pretty gross simplification, and I think that's probably it's cleaner. I give it that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Because you don't want the yeah. From a plot perspective, it's much much cleaner. You, you don't want like children drifting around with, you know, their innards <laughs> no longer yeah. on the inside. Well, and that's, and that's where yeah. maybe maybe that speaks to the type of explosion it should have been. Right, that if it was one of those where like the whole ship just turns into dust and then it's sparkly dust flying around, sure. Yeah, but that they they got greedy with that like saucer section on fire coming at you yeah which paints a different picture somebody said they wanted that shot and then that's why it's there yeah Yeah. and it's a cool shot right it's hard to say no to that one when that comes across the desk well and i think what would have helped the wes and picard scene um and would have made them feel a little bit more like they were affected by it i mean this is a pretty common trope but i think it would have been very appropriate here to have 
to have that moment where the captain and the crew are, you know, kind of insisting on a double check, you know, like, you know, because Data, I think Data is the one who just says like, nope, no life signs. I think that's a moment for a captain to be like, you know, I mean, scan again. Yeah, like, can he you... tells Data to double check like his math. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he tells Data to double check constantly. Um, it is that is a good point that he should at least ask there. Yeah, I mean, a thousand people just died. It wouldn't kill you to scan again and maybe scan harder. I mean, scan two, scan harder. I don't know, but like enhance. Yeah, enhance exactly. <laughs> Um, so, so the Iconians, like, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, I mean, what do you guys think of that plot point and the Iconian, like, angle to this episode? Go for it, James. I mean, you start off with this probe that gets shot off automatically from this planet. Yeah. And whether or not it's intentionally this way, it is aggressive as shit. Like... Yeah. Yep. (laughs) It, it just zaps your... You're, it doesn't take control of you. Like, as far as contagion goes, as far as virus goes, like, you don't want to kill your host if you want to spread the contagion, right? That's not how viruses work. That's not how most bacteria work. That's how unless, bad ones do, but... Yeah. Right. So, exploding <laughs> the ship is, is the worst possible outcome for this technology if it's trying to copy itself repeatedly, yeah. like a contagion. So, either it's accidentally aggressive, like, too much, or it's... I don't know. It's um, poorly written, or well, and they—that's a really—that's a really great point because I hadn't even entertained that and that line of thinking until you brought it up. But that I mean, they're talking about how advanced this thing is, and like, oh my gosh, like look what it's done in a matter of hours. And it's like, well, if it's either purposefully malevolent and doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which they seem to dismiss. Or yeah. it's not nearly as good a piece of software as they claim it is because, like, you know, <laughs> it's, if they're going to fire this off of a probe that's automatic for everything that comes to their home planet and not have it be a defensive system, well, A, it should probably act faster if it's a defensive system. But B, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it is it is just catastrophically detrimental to <laughs> the two, well, three example cases three, that it's thrown yeah. against. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Good point. Well, it's one of those. I think there's a trope in science fiction of, well, if you tried to install this future tech on a on a system too simple that like it's going to install but like burn it up instantly, right? right. That yeah. like yeah. if we were to try to install like Windows 10 on on an old uh, you know old 3D6 or something that like it's going to work, but it's just going to work so hard that it destroys it. Yeah, and that that's a trope that comes up a lot and they always pitch this like oh well it's so far advanced that it's magic right it's magic that's fine um but but it when you start to dig into that too much just it's i don't know lazy writing to some degree but the more because you dig it's in not ag- actually magic it is tech it has yeah, to still have tech. internal rules yeah yeah and sure machine code right it's probably at the base machine code but yeah i don't know why it would do these things Right. They, they don't make a compelling case for that, at least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think um, this is another one where I think I would have wanted more time spent in some... Because, like, they don't ever have any answers about what the thing is. They just have the roughest of all fixes for the, the computer virus. 
Um, I think it might have been kind of cool to spend more time with that to, to actually figure out what it was supposed to be doing. Well, can we talk about the solution? Because I'm going to before somebody else says it. But the solution is, <laughs> did you try turning it off and then on again? <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> yep, that's the solution. Like they called tech, tech support and they were like, oh, did you try turning it on and back off again? And I think what's especially tragic about it, and they try to make this uh this makes it into the episode i think to try to like not make the yamato crew seem incompetent um but like that you know if that's all it was it doesn't look great for the competency of the yamato crew but i think they say something to the effect of like oh well it's because they got the probe man and the probe gives you all the virus we just got like ours was only in the mainframe or something like yeah yeah oh yeah yeah. yeah, now you're going to want to unplug it and then wait 30 seconds. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, and how, how is it, it acting up? How do you know that you've got the virus? It makes the lights flicker, yeah. and it makes plants come out of the food synthesizer. Oh, man, was that the first time he's gotten Earl Grey tea hot? It is. I, it wow, is. okay. This is the... he did it, and it was like, man, I don't think that's happened yet. Okay, so uh, we're going to hardcore segue real quick into why this episode is important in the continuity. I mean, that's it. That's um, it right there. Right? That's that's one of them, right? I mean, this is uh, Picard. Is this is the origination of his what? I mean, seriously, kind of becomes his catchphrase: "Tea Earl yeah. Grey hot." And it, and you can see how it's a plot device here. Yeah. Yeah. That is a terrible catchphrase. <laughs> I mean, come on now. It's uh, it's also the first episode in the series to uh, mention Picard's interest in archaeology. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is a huge like part of his character. Um, there. Yeah, it's the start of his polymathery. Uh, what? As a poly, he's he's considered a polymath that he has a lot of um, hobbies and expertise oh. in lots of different areas. Okay. I don't I, know what polymathery is a word, but you know it should be. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I think uh, I caught this uh, on the second viewing. Uh, I, I, didn't re- I didn't remember this until just now, but Jordy LaForge referenced Bruce Maddox uh, in engineering. He named yeah, him. Yeah, he did. Name-checked him. Um, this is uh, the first appearance of the Iconians. Um, this idea, Protoss. the Protoss, uh, this will be revisited in a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode, um, season four episode where an Iconian gateway is discovered all the way in the Gamma Quadrant, and a similar race to destroy it um, goes underway because the Federation tries to destroy it because it is actually occupied. It's functioning and occupied by Jem'Hadar soldiers. And uh, these Jem'Hadar soldiers are actually um, rogue, uh, and they are rebelling against both, uh, both the Dominion and theoretically could strike the Federation. So... So does the Federation just destroy the pylon crystal so that the gateway doesn't work anymore? Right, exactly. <laughs> you just you cut off the power source and then that's it. It's just done. Yep. Well, well. So go back to your question about the Iconians too. So, so I think uh, James had some good points. Um, one of the ones I, I'm kind of stuck with is that that Star Trek often, when they have to put down numbers to things, make um, n- make up numbers that are more or less hyperbole. Right? That to two hundred thousand years is a very very long time, uh-huh. uh, even mm. for like space folk. Um, that that to talk about this uh, culture, even as Picard sells it, like well, they're enemies throughout their history. Even oh. even to believe that their enemies might still be around, or that there are legends of their enemies that are passed on, like is is un it is unbelievable, right? The idea that that any of the contemporary cultures they have here are maybe thousands or tens of thousands of years old, right? But 
they don't run into many groups that are 200,000 years old. No, no. And here's... Right, and the, the, the timeline doesn't make sense, and how they speak of them, demons of air and darkness. That's how a human race would speak about, like, an ancient magical predecessor, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. That's not how a, a technologically advanced civilization yeah. would yeah. speak about a, 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 a prehistoric or a pre-ancient yeah, right. civ. Right. Well, and the other the other um, huge criticism of Star Trek as a whole, and I think it it uh, you can bring it up here as well, is that technological discrepancy is not a thing that the series handles well at all. Um, in so much that I mean, the Iconians are are a rare example of of a race that is supposedly supposed to have you know technology way beyond the reach of the Federation. But if that's the case, and they had it two hundred thousand years ago. Why now is this sector of space populated by people who have technology which is roughly on par with what humanity has, which they've only been spacefaring for two to three hundred years? I mean, ask uh, George Sukalos. I'm so, uh, huh? <laughs> the, the, it's the guy from Ancient Aliens. Oh, crazy okay, guy. okay, that's the Ancient Aliens guy. Got it. Okay, nice. Well, yeah, the answer is aliens because aliens. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, also in the continuity, this is the first time a galaxy-class starship is destroyed on screen. Um, the Hakona is the first Romulan starship to actually be named on screen. Um, and then I find, for this continuity stuff, this is just silly, but apparently a stock photograph of Toronto City Hall was viewed through the Iconian Gateway. Oh, I was wondering what that was, because <laughs> I was like, yeah, that definitely <laughs> looks like a human building. But, <laughs> and then uh, also the photograph of the mountain um, is also Canadian in origin. Photograph of Mount Temple near Lake Louise in uh, in Canada is also seen through the Iconian Gateway. So apparently the Iconians were interested in conquering interstellar space and Canada. And Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, but, but I mean, what's weird about this is the Iconians, for whatever reason, like, I remembered them being a bigger deal than they are, but they really are only in that other, that Deep Space Nine episode. But they're also, um, there's a there's a Trek series of novels, uh, which is based on them. I think I read those when I was, uh, you know, younger. And then uh, it's also used extensively in Star Trek Online. So the Iconians mm. make a, a big that makes appearance there. Well, and it's also weird that they get to this planet and it's not really hidden. Like if you scan this planet, it seems like you would find this place. And the fact that nobody has found this place in 200,000 years, or even that like enemies that destroyed this planet didn't stick around and say, hey, I wonder if there's anything left we can take or use. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, how about this completely uh, isolated, pristine room of super tech? Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. Again, they, they don't use their time scales judiciously maybe to say it yeah one way it's not super credible to be like oh we found it it's right here in in the neutral zone yeah i would agree with that um and we already kind of made reference to this but the way this episode ends is is yeah kind of uh oh before we get to the ending boy there is a uh pulaski scene yeah there is Ah! yeah Uh yeah, there is Um, i want it i want without our input james i want your input on this scene Uh, yeah, splints, splints are cool. They're ancient ancient technology. Two sticks and a rubber band or two. Yep, yep. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how it works. I, I love the uh, I love the guy's reaction. Like if I if I can't do medicine with this like little robot, I mean, we'll put just... leeches on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think they're all just idiots now. Like evidently, Pulaski's the only like legit trained doctor left, and it's it because really... she like has studied 
non-applicable ancient stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, all mean, you need yeah. is this little device you put on someone's body and they're, like diagnoses and treats them instantaneously. So you're just you just kind of like, cruise around. Like being a doctor is the easiest thing in the world oh, in man. the Star Trek universe. I, I have in my notes good things you learned about splints in Ancient History 101. But <laughs> exactly. it, it, yeah. it, it feels like this continuing overcompensation that like, oh, oh, remember Plasky? Like you don't like her. Let's let's make her good. Maybe if the other people around her are idiots, she'll seem good in comparison. Yeah. Like it really feels like they're putting that in there to be like, oh, she can be right. See, she can be right. Like, trust us. <laughs> yeah, I did like, I mean, I will, to play devil's advocate, I did I did like her delivery of the line, you know, you you know, you do, you do this, you, you practice medicine with your hands and your heart and, and uh, you know, I mean, like, basically, like, look, get in there and you can, you can do what you, you can do a lot with your hands if you know what you're doing. And you care is basically what she's saying, which I thought was a really nice thing to say. But, but you're right. Unfortunately, it was it was contained within this scene where apparently future doctors are just like, "Buh, the blinky lights are out." <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what I'm doing. And, and it like, and she's still so condescending in the delivery. Oh, just sure. yeah, yeah, superior and smug and all all her Pulaski goodness. Well, it reminds me very much of, like the the opposite effect of, of this happened in a in an episode of uh, Star Trek Enterprise once where like for whatever reason writers love to exaggerate that kind of crap, which is just like, you know, a drastic shift in what people know or should know. Um, because of circumstance. And in this case, it's like, well, are they in the future? When would they ever have use for that? I would have to imagine that medical science would probably still stick to the basics because technology breaks, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and then, but in uh, Enterprise, I remember the scene where they first, uh, you know, uncover photon torpedoes or whatever. And, and, and one of their characters, uh, I think Malcolm, uh, the, the armory guy, was just like, ooh, photon torpedoes. I've never heard of those before. Blah. You know, and it's like, wink to the audience. And, and that kind of stuff just drives me nuts because it's like, yeah, it's the future. Yeah, they have magical tech, but they're not going to just stop practicing basic field medicine because there's going to be a lot of situations where that still needs to work. Um, you know, I mean, so much so that, I mean, we referenced a a couple of things in Deep Space Nine, but I mean, the Deep Space Nine, like war episodes, like Julian Bashir is basically just in there, like just sewing people together with whatever the hell he can find, you know? So, I mean, clearly this doctor on the Enterprise sickbay just didn't go through the same program, I guess. I I don't know. It, (laughs) It was, it was pretty weird. Yeah. It was pretty weird. Um, so yeah, the end of this episode, um, uh, it kind of ends like it just it ends pretty quickly i thought like it was just it's over um they're in the control room data's like i guess if i mash these three languages together i can kind of figure it out and gets it comically wrong <laughs> um that was not manual override <laughs> yeah not by a long shot um huzzah i turned on the gateway um i did think the i thought the scene where he got um berzapped and uh was being overtaken by the virus i thought his acting was nice in that because he did look like a broken android <laughs> like in that scene yeah yeah he looked yeah. very yeah. much yeah his body language there was pretty perfect yeah um a good testament again to brent spiner yeah i, I mean he like i i think the absolutely what sold that scene for me was was the way that he like kind of just progressively over time got more and more like oh he's about to break and then just boo you know that was, that was that i thought that was effective um but i mean really like 
this is another uh, I think this is another example of like the resolution of an episode happening in spite of the characters and I really hate when that happens yeah yeah they have no agency over their their own destiny by the end of the episode it just they kind of luck out and they kind of find data, stuff data stumbles upon it yeah and right. and it uh, it really kind of comes to a thud at the end there I think um but, well, to go back to what we talked about of Picard just like showing up and being like, "See you later, <laughs> have, have fun yeah, blowing of thuds, up." <laughs> you didn't talk about Jordy's wild ride either. Oh, oh yeah, that was great. Man, I like that too. Yeah, that was pretty good. Although they're very cavalier <laughs> about Jordy's <laughs> dramatic entrance onto the bridge, uh, and Picard again—he's kind of a jerk in this episode. But, you know, welcome to the bridge, Commander. Like, really, dude? Like the guy almost got squished by the turbo lift, and you're just telling him, <laughs> you "Like, oh, be are you okay?" Yeah. yeah, you might want to just check and see if the guy's all right. You know, he could be hemorrhaging internally because he just—he got thrown around pretty violently uh, in that turbo lift. I mean, damn. Um. And then, yeah, I mean, they they turn it off and turn it on again, and then they shake hands and say, "No war today, bye." Um, and then that's the episode. I mean, that's yeah, more or less, right? There's really not much else to say. Yeah, yeah. It's I I will say, however, I can't. Uh, I'm gonna say that I kind of like this episode, and I don't know why. Um, I. Yeah, I'm gonna throw it out there. I'm just gonna say that that's where I, well, I am. The the place I'm at is uh, is maybe that this feels so unoffensive because um, they don't really reach that far, right? They're, they don't really do anything wrong. The the things that are are wrong are kind of comically wrong <laughs> in a lot of places. Yeah, um, and it does just kind of flow, right? There's not a ton of plot problems. Um, because there's not the, a lot of plot. <laughs> because there's not a lot of plot, right? It's just yeah. A to B to C, to, and and it just um, there aren't many twists and turns. And even the Yamato blowing up isn't really something. Isn't a twist and turn. It's a, it's a plot device. Yeah. Um, and the way it's interpreted and, and internalized by the crew is seen as a plot device, right? They don't even really dwell on it. They don't have like a memorial service. They just like, yeah. well, okay, cool. Um, I guess that had to happen for this to play out this way. Um, so it does feel very much like a, a, a sort of boilerplate episode, but at the same time, it doesn't feel bad. Yeah. 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 Picard ends with some quip about, uh, the excitement of away missions. Oh yeah. Cavalier attitude. I also have a note, even with that same language, at least you can make cool quips while teleporting. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yep. I mean, I mean, Uh, Picard has in this episode, I, I almost, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. It feels like they're, they're trying too hard to make him kind of badass. And like, that's, yeah, he's doing things Kirk would do. Yeah, he's very yeah. That's a good way to put it. He's very Kirk-like in this episode, and and that's probably why it all feels out of character because he's he's just shy of winking at the camera a couple of times and throwing on the shades and doing the cool guys don't look at explosions routine, and it just it doesn't it doesn't feel authentic um, to to the character, um, and it also just yeah it, I don't buy the fact that there wouldn't be ramifications of what happened here with with the Romulans. Gonna be a lot of paperwork. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of paperwork. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
I mean, James. So, I mean, what did you th- did you did you like it? Did you did you? I mean, well, would you recommend it? Right. It, yeah. And then keep in mind this this kind of idea. You've got a friend who has never seen any Star Trek. You're going through the series. You get to this one. To some degree, you're trying to save time when when necessary. But so, do you watch this one? You skip this one. I would actually skip this one. Uh, I I see what you mean, Burns, when you say there are pieces you would keep out of it mm-hmm. because they do develop certain catchphrases, galaxy class starship, yeah, whatever. But uh, no, I mean, if you if you go straight through the second season, cut this one out completely, you miss nothing. Uh, yeah. There's no character development that is significant here. There's nothing I want to like arc back to necessarily. It's a uh, it's a dropper, man. It's a drop. Yeah. Paul, what, what do you say? Boy, oh <laughs> well, I feel like, I mean, Burns, am I reading you right that you're you're on the wa- side of watch? I'm not gonna say until I hear what you say. I'm not gonna say. Well, I mean, well, I guess what I'm asking is, is James is making a compelling argument, and I'm torn, uh, as, as yeah. often becomes the case here. Um, and I mean, e- either you could slam Duncan and say, yeah, you you side with James, or I mean, you could try to make a compelling argument. <laughs> I, um, well, okay, I'll get out there and I'll say, I, I will say watch. However, I'm not going to begrudge anybody who says to skip it because it's kind of silly. But that said, it's, um, I'm, I'm a fan of any episode where the Romulans appear. Um, I think there's some good, um, there's some good Romulan stuff here because they are doing what they do. This is kind of establishing the, the new norm for the Romulan Empire, which is to just hang around wait for somebody to act aggressive and then pen them, you know, right? Like just, just, just pen them in a corner. And that's, I think what was kind of cool about this one was seeing the Romulans attempt to do that, but then get caught up in the trap as well. Um, I also think it's worthwhile because the, um, if you go on to watch a lot of Star Trek, the Deep Space Nine episode, that's basically kind of the, the grandchild of this one is a very good episode and builds off of the events that happen here. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, the, the good that's in the episode, we spent a lot of time really bagging on this episode, but there is, I mean, all the characters are kind of doing what they need to be doing. Deanna Troy's even, you know, quasi useful here in a couple of situations. Um, you know, Jordy's very good here because he's, he's trying to get to the root of the problem when he's not being thrown around a turbo lift. Um, you know, Data's really good in this episode, basically all the way through, um, so, I mean, there, there is a lot of good stuff here. There's some, some goofiness that's attributed to, to season two. Um, but I think that there are so few and far between good, like honest to goodness, like decent season two episodes that this one is kind of saved by association um, because it's not, it's not great, but it's certainly not as bad as most of the season two episodes. And it's actually kind of good. I mean, like when you get to the end of it, it's actually, you know, kind of decent because, um, I, I think the other important pickup here is, is Picard's passion for, for archaeology. And, I mean, that is a thing that they keep. And I almost wonder if maybe they, they made him too daring because they were like, well, he's like Space Indiana Jones. And I think they kind of dropped that because they realized he was more academic than wielding a whip and a pistol. But that's, Yeah, that's a lot of good points. And and, and maybe the most compelling one, that, that um, archaeology aspect at the end, that, that does keep coming back, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, 
and I, I I don't know when the next time it comes back. I think it's much much later where his old professor comes back. Um, it's no, a, it's the, like it's a, a it's a hook for a... Um, the episode with Vosh, um, which I think is a season oh, three yeah, yeah, Captain's yeah. Holiday. Right. Um, it's regularly involved in a lot of of episodes where. Uh, the Enterprise gets an assignment or it can, can you know, I mean, it, it, it sways him a lot. Um, I, I mean, I won't say it's like every week, but it'll usually make an appearance once a season or so. Yeah. Boy, it's so, so I mean, you make a good argument. Um, and I think we're all kind of in the place where we're, it's, it's sort of middle of the road, right? We're, we're not leaning heavy on either side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some of the, the arguments that you made for this actually... Um, I kind of read the opposite side that that this is to a large degree people doing what they do and what what we see them do frequently and what we will see them do frequently. Um, things like the the Earl Grey Hot is a good example of of this isn't important that this is where it came from because to some degree it's not important where it came from. It's important that he does it yeah. um, and and having it <clears throat> having this be a, a sort of genesis of this as a plot device um, and a good one I mean I, I see why they did it is um, sort of weakening to that to some degree I don't need to know where it came from I just need to know that he does it right um, and the, I mean I kind of forgot Troy was in this episode but you're right she does offer some mildly useful help there in the middle and then she acts in character um, and Brun Spinery is good and Jordy is good um, Marker has his moments um, the Romulans show up, but but I would argue they don't really do a ton. Again, it's about agency. Um, neither ship really has agency here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it does feel like one of these really sort of middle of the road episodes. And and you also made the point of it being a good season two episode, but maybe not a good episode overall. And I, I think that's the nail in the coffin for me. That um, when we start talking about these season two episodes if it comes down to watching something that's good, but only in comparison to the things around it, or just saying, let's get out of this season faster. I got to come down on the side. Hey, of that wait, 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 skip. wait, 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 before you render oh. your final verdict, uh, I will remind you, <laughs> there are far more terrible episodes that we have in our watch list. Um, Oh, yeah, and I don't think that I don't list. think that any of those are my fault. So <laughs> my conscience is clean. <laughs> okay, fine. So uh, skip it by a vote of two to three. Um, yeah, yeah I think this is the I think this is the first one where it's uh, played out that way. Yeah, is it? Yeah, well, probably. Yeah. Well, not two to three, but two against you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, and we knew Sometimes it. Get one and a half. It really was going to happen at some point, but yeah, James made a compelling argument. <laughs> uh, well, I see why you like it, though, Burns. And I'm not saying I dislike this one. I just think that at this point there are. are um, there are better ones coming. Oh yeah. And as you start to trudge through season two, it does start to become a let's get out of season two quicker. Yeah. <laughs> or at least yeah. to the better ones that are on the horizon. Right. We've had some really good ones recently. Yeah. Um, and there are going to be much better ones later. Well, it's probably not the Royale, which is our next episode we're going to talk about, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I think that pretty much puts a pin in this one. Um, so James, did you have fun uh, on the show? Yeah, it's good. Good old time. Yeah. I'll be back shortly. Do you have uh, invited. yes? Do you do you have anything on the internet uh, or anything out there that you would like people to be made aware of, or would you like to remain forever mysterious? Uh, this is your chance for shameless self promotion. Nope, I'm just a fan of the show. Very nice. Okay, well, uh, James, thanks again, and until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And um, you just turn it off and turn it on again. It always works. <laughs> oh wait, 
that's the argument you should have used. Man, this is like <laughs> this is a tech support tape you should give your grandma when they, you know, man. Well, you missed that argument. We're skipping it. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.